Let's go to God's Word this morning. I'll go back to the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2, and I normally like to have an outline of what I'm doing, but I couldn't really get one this week. So, but, so we're going to do a little Bible study this morning, and, uh, and I know uh, with the help of God and the Holy Spirit that uh, he's going to encourage us and strengthen us because the Apostle Paul says <clears throat> in Romans 15 and 4, but whatever was written in times past was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so I want us to leave this morning with encouragement and hope. Amen. And so I want us to leave uh, better than when we came in here this morning. But we saw last week in chapter 1 of Nehemiah that God's people had found themselves, well, I would just simply call a so-called mess. They were in a mess. And they had found themselves in this condition because they had simply forsaken God. They had disobeyed him. They had committed idolatry. And, and God had sent prophets to warn them time and time again that if they didn't return to God, uh, they would be taken captive. And sure enough, they didn't return to God. And guess what? God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And so God had allowed his people to be taken into captivity. And after 70 years, God, uh, God was true to his word and he allowed them to return to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And even though the temple had been rebuilt, the walls of the city of Jerusalem were still broken down, which had caused the people to live in a state of distress a state of affliction, and a state of reproach. Now, we, we, we saw last week that there was a man named Nehemiah who was writing this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king, and he lived in Susa, the, where the king of Persia lived, and he is living 800 miles away. Well, Nehemiah hears about the conditions of uh, his father's city, uh, his, his ancestors' hometown, and he hears about how the people there are living in a state of distress, they're living in a state of affliction, they're living in a state of reproach. And Nehemiah, we noticed last week that he wasn't just, a, uh, he, he wasn't just an apathetic person. When he hears of the conditions of the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says that Nehemiah was moved with compassion. In other words, he didn't just feel their pain. He felt it to the point where he had a desire to help the situation. And we notice that Nehemiah begins to consecrate himself before God. He begins to fast. He begins to pray. And through his fasting, through his praying, Nehemiah gets confidence back in God and realizes that, yes, the city walls may be destroyed. The people may be in distress. They may be in great affliction. But with God, all things are possible. And so here is Nehemiah. He's got confidence that God can rebuild the walls, that God can use him to rebuild the walls. And now he's going to not just simply feel their pain, he's going to step forward and basically say, here am I, Lord, send me. Help me 
to do what you have called me to do. And I say this, don't ever pray a prayer that you're not willing to be the answer for that prayer. Okay? Now, while we don't have physical walls that have been broken down today, we do see things that are broken down in our lives generally. We live in a country where the family is basically broken down. Government is basically against family. We see marriages that are broken down. We see people that walk with God is not what it used to be, right? We see that things have deteriorated in people's lives. And so Nehemiah was willing to be a part of the solution. See, there's a lot of people, they can recognize the problem, but they don't want to get involved in order to help fix the problem with God's help. And so this morning, as we go through chapter 2, I want us to make some observations, some principles this morning. But before we get to chapter 2, let's start back at verse 11 of chapter 1 and look what Nehemiah says. This is the end of his prayer. And he's praying this. He says, Oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to river your names. And let's stop here for a second and realize it. Listen. When you are saved, when you are born again, you are a servant of God. Your life is not your own anymore. You have been bought with a price. And so because you've been bought with a price, you should use whatever gifts, whatever talents, whatever abilities that God has blessed you with for his kingdom. And so Nehemiah realizes that even though he's a servant to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, he realizes he's really a servant of God first and foremost. And so whether you work in a secular job, you may work in a factory, whether you work in a, in a white collar place, whether you're a nurse, you're not really a servant of that place first and foremost. You're always as a child of God, you are a servant of the most high God. And so he says here, continuing on, he says, make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. And then he says, now I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, Nehemiah's prayer, which is natural, what we naturally would pray for is, Lord, uh, do something today. Right? Here's the situation. Do something. But as we begin to read in chapter 2, verse 1, we pick it up here, and it says this, and it came about, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, most people say, I don't even know what that is. That's not like a car to me. Right? But when you study this, you realize that Nisan is the month between, it's like somewhere around the end of March, early April. And so what we could surmise is this, is that Nehemiah is fasting and praying 
and he fasts and prays for up to four months. And for those four months, guess what? Nothing of significance happens. Nothing significant happens. And I know we started our corporate prayer this past Tuesday. Prayer emphasis. And a lot of times when we pray, we think when we get up off our knees that then all of a sudden it's going to change. Now God may do that sometimes. But as a child of God, you've got to be the same way Nehemiah. Nehemiah knew how to pray. He knew how to fast and pray, worship and pray. But he also knew how to pray and wait. Okay? He knew how to Pray and wait because there's nothing for four months that is written in his prayer journal. And guess what? What we realize is this, is God is not bound by our calendar. He is not bound to work according to our schedule. If you want to make God laugh, just give him a deadline. Right? God, I need you to do this. I need you to do it by Tuesday. Now, he might do that if it's in his time. But God's time is not according to our times. And as Hebrews 6 and 12 says, listen, it is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And what we got to realize is this, as a child of God, there's going to be times, many times in your life when you are praying for something and then it seems like nothing is happening. Abraham waited 25 years from the time that God told him as Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son that through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Joseph, that, the one that God gave him the dream that his father and mother would bow down to him. It took 12 years from when he was in prison before he was given, that, that God-given dream that he was given, 12 years before he, when he was sold into slavery, before it ever came to pass. And you got to realize, when you read the scriptures time and time again, when God makes a promise, a lot of people died in the faith, not yet receiving the promises, but they seen them in a distance. And listen, God is a God of order. He's a God of timing. David had to wait 10 years until he became the king, even though the prophet anointed him and said, guess what? You're going to be the next king. But even though Nehemiah had been praying, even though he had been consecrating himself to God for four months, nothing is happening in this situation. But just because you are waiting does not mean that God isn't working. Because God is a God of timing. See, Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says that there is a, an appointed time for everything. 
There's a time for everything. Galatians 4 and 4 talks about the Messiah coming. It says, but when the fullness of time had came, God sent forth his Son. So God didn't just wake up one day. We know God is asleep. I'm just using it as, a, as, a, as an analogy. God didn't just all of a sudden one day say, I think I'll send Jesus today. No. It was at the exact time that God had marked out on his calendar that he sent his son born of a virgin. And so even though four months had passed since Nehemiah heard of the conditions of Jerusalem, even though there was nothing recorded in Nehemiah's prayer journal, these four months were not wasted time. And waiting time is not necessarily wasted time. Because it is in the waiting that Isaiah 40, 31 says it like this, but those that wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. And so here is Nehemiah. For four months, he's fasting, he's praying, he's consecrating himself before God, and nothing is happening. As a child of God, you've got to learn to wait patiently. Wait patiently. Verse 2. Now we see that Nehemiah is going to proceed. Because it says this, so the king says, go back to verse 1 here. He says, that wine was set before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. So notice now, now while Nehemiah is waiting on God to do something and give him direction, he's going about his normal work. Right? And so a lot of times when we're waiting on God to do something, what do we need to do? You do what you're told to do. You do what you know to do while you're waiting on God. And so now all of a sudden, God opens the door to the king's heart and the king notices that Nehemiah is very afraid or that he looks sick. And so Nehemiah says, then I was very much afraid. Now, that's interesting because if that was me writing, I probably wouldn't tell anybody I was afraid at this time. I won't tell him I was bold, I was a lion, I didn't have any fears in my, in my heart at that time. I was just ready to go get it. But here Nehemiah says that he was very much afraid. Now there's two reasons why Nehemiah would be afraid at this time. First and foremost, if you're a king's servant, you're not supposed to appear sad before the king because after, if you're doing that, you're basically reigning on his parade. And so if anyone appeared sad before the king, the king could say, off with his head. We're not having that sadness around here. Right? Also, the reason why he was afraid is because he knew that earlier, and we see this in Ezra chapter 4, that there had been an edict passed which said that Jerusalem could not be rebuilt. And so he is going before the king, and he's about to ask the king to do something that they've already said cannot be done and let me tell you something even though you fast and pray you will still battle fear 
you still will. Fear is something that you will battle from time to time throughout the rest of your life. I know David prayed at one time that I saw the Lord, he delivered me from all my fears, and God did that time. But if you go on to Psalm chapter 56, verse 3, and this heading of this psalm says that this, David wrote this when he was in the city of Gath, the hometown of Goliath, and David was running from Saul, and here he is in the Philistine territory, and he's in the city of Gath, and all of a sudden as he's in this city of Gath, people start whispering, is that not David, the one they sing that Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands? And when David hears, the same one that killed Goliath, and while everybody else was running away, David was running toward Goliath at the, as, a, as a young boy. Now, all of a sudden, he finds himself in this position. He hears these people start saying, isn't that David? And so because David is afraid of what they might do to him, the Bible says that David began to act like an insane person. He began to foam at the mouth, scratch his beard because they brought him before the king of, the, uh, of that town. And finally that king says, I don't need any more crazy people around here. Get him out of here. See, David did that at that time. Why? Because he was struggling with trusting God that the same God who had saved him time and time again, well, what if he does it this time? See, we're no different. We're no different. There's times in our lives when fear comes knocking. You don't think so? What about when you go get that test at that doctor's office and they say, we'll call you in a week. And the whole time you're battling with this you're battling between faith in God and whether or not he's going to call and tell you you've only got a few weeks to live you got a bad report see you've got to realize that fear is something that we will deal with our entire life our entire life my granddad a great Pentecostal preacher he told me before he died, he said, you know what, every time I got up behind the pulpit, I would shake and, and tremble in fear because I was so afraid. Now, how could you do that? Because you're human. Because you will always battle fear in some form or fashion in your life. So you got to realize this, that courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is proceeding in spite of your fears just simply trusting God and so let's continue on verse 3 he says this I said to the king let the king live forever why should my face not be sad when the city the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been consumed with fire then the king said to me what would you request and then we see so I pray to the God of 
heaven. And so not only was Nehemiah someone that had to patiently wait, when God opened the door for him to speak, he had to proceed in spite of his fears. But also we see in verse 4 that Nehemiah, before he says anything to the king, he says, I said a quick prayer to the God of heaven. Now the reason why Nehemiah turned to prayer so quick is because he had been spending four months in fasting and in prayer. And one great thing about this that I take from this verse is that prayer doesn't have to always be something that is long. It doesn't have to always be something that is necessarily planned. No, at that moment, he didn't have to say, King, wait just a minute, i got to go back to my prayer clause. I'll be back in a little bit. No, at that moment, he said a quick prayer to the God in heaven. And let me tell you something. In this world we're living in, we as God's people need to pray continuously, right? We need to always be about prayer. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be audible. But the Bible says in, in Jeremiah 33 and 3 that if you call unto me, I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of God that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And Nehemiah realized that, listen, what he was about to present to the king, it could be off with his head and he was about to ask the king to do something that was, going to go, that was going to go against precedent. And Nehemiah realized that only God could change the king's heart. And let me tell you something. I can't change people. You can't change them. Only God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can change people's lives. And so we see, let's continue on, verse 5 and 6. He says, I said to the king, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. Now notice the thing about Nehemiah was not only was he faithful in consecrating himself to God through fasting and prayer, but one thing about Nehemiah is not only did he pray, but he also prepared. Okay, Not only did Nehemiah pray, but he also prepared and he also planned. See, this is a good thing for some of us need, that need to hear. See, some of us think all we got to do is pray. Others focus exclusively on preparing and planning. But it shouldn't be either or or. It should be both and. We should pray, but we should also prepare. We should also plan. Because prayer and preparing, they go together. 
Because prayer without planning, it is reckless. And so the day he started to pray, there's no doubt in my mind that Nehemiah began to prepare for the time when God would open the door so that he would have the answer to the king's questions. Notice this. When the king asked him, how long will you be gone? He didn't say, I don't know that yet. Uh, Let me figure that out. No. When the king asked him how long he will be gone, Nehemiah knew the answer to the king's questions. He anticipated how long the journey would take. So when the king asked him this, he gives the king a time frame. Look at verse 7 and 8. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me for governors of the provinces beyond the river and that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Aesop, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me temper, timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress which is by the temple for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. So notice what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah has planned this all out and he realizes. He says, I need letters with your signature on it because when he gets to this province, they're going to say, hey, where do you think you're going? And he says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And that guy would say, not without any letters, you're not. And Nehemiah would say, oh, you're talking about these letters? Right? You understand that? And then he would go to Aesop and say, hey, I need some timber. Well, who do you think you are coming in here asking for timber? You can't have any of this timber unless you got some letters. And Nehemiah was like, oh, you mean these letters? You understand? He's not just praying and hoping. He's not just praying and just aimlessly wondering. No, God is giving him a plan of action for how he needs to address this problem, this issue. And let me say this. The Bible places a strong emphasis on the need of being prepared. Luke 12 and 35, the Bible says this, to be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. That's preparation. You're prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 21, he says, Timothy, be prepared for every good work. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 13, he says, prepare your minds for action. 1 Peter 3, 15 says it like this, always be prepared to share your faith. Listen, it's not time to know the Romans road when you, somebody all of a sudden asks you on their deathbed, hey, how'd I get saved? I don't know. You know this stuff in advance so that when the opportunity presents itself, you are ready. Understand, a lot of us, we, wanna, we, we pray for our family to be saved, but we don't prepare for them to be saved. We're not ready for them to be saved. And so here is Nehemiah. He is not only a man of prayer, but he's a man of preparation. He's a man of 
plans. And let me say this. In our lives, you need to prepare for the best that can happen. You also need to prepare for the worst that can happen. Because when you, when you fail to plan, you're planning on failing. Okay? Proverbs 21 and 5 says this. The plans of the diligent lead surely to, to advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with studying to show yourself approved, right? I know, I know we, a lot of times we want to get lazy and say, well, the Holy Ghost is going to give me something when I get up there. Well, listen, if you don't study, how is he going to bring anything to your remembrance? Come on now. I believe God's a God that can do that, but also that breeds laziness in our spiritual life, and there's no reason why we can't prepare and pray. So what do you do with your plans? You detail your plan. Then you discuss it with other people. How many of those the Bible says this? Proverbs eleven fourteen says, In the abundance of counselors, there's victory. In the abundance of counselors, there's victory. See, when you're in a situation, in a storm, so to speak, a lot of times you can't make sense. You can't make heads or tails of anything. And when I am facing a decision that clouds my judgment because I'm emotionally invested in something, I want to be able to go to somebody that's clear-minded, that's clear-thinking, and can tell me whether this is good or whether this is bad. There's nothing wrong with asking wise people for advice. Now listen, if you need marriage counseling, you don't go to somebody that's been divorced three times. Right? You want to find somebody that's been there for 55 years, right, that can give you some good, godly, sound advice. I had somebody, these people, they don't go, they don't go to our church, but I, I, I got a message this past week on Facebook, and they said, hey, would you marry so-and-so and me? Well, I said, I would have to know the details of your divorce before I would marry you because I realized they, just, they, they were married to somebody else at the time. And so they told me the details. When they told me the details, I said, well, I, I thought to myself, I said, you know, I can't really see anything biblical grounds for that. And so I told them, I said, I would never recommend you coming out of a marriage and going right back into another one, especially one that's in, in, in bad. I mean, you've already showed you've already picked a lemon one time, right? What makes you think you're not going to pick another lemon right quick, right? Now, we just, let's just, I mean, some of you need to laugh this today. But I'm just saying that there's a reason why the Bible says if you walk with wise people, you will become wise. These older folks here, they're great to lean on for I know they may not know how to send a text, right? They may not know how to Snapchat and that kind of stuff. But they've been through some stuff. They've got some wisdom about them. And when God gives you an idea, or you think it's God that's giving you an idea, it's always best to say, hey, Child of God, you mature person in Christ, 
What do you think about this? Because you may be blinded by your emotions and by your wants and your desires and then they can look at the situation without any kind of being emotionally involved and tell you, I don't think this is wise. And when they tell you that and you accept it, you'll be wiser for it. And so this is what we need to do. And then once you have a plan, you dedicate it to the Lord. And if it's not right, God will reshape it. He'll redirect it. He'll modify it. Let's go back to verse 9 here. Continue on. Here's what Nehemiah says. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and the horsemen. But verse 10 says this. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. And let me un let's understand something here. When God moves on us to do something for him, God gives us a plan. Don't think there won't be problems. Okay? There will always be opposition to God's work and so he says here so I came to Jerusalem and there was and there was there three days and I rose in the night and I and a few men with me he says I did not tell anyone what God was putting in my into my mind to do for Jerusalem and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding so I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, its gates, which were consumed by fire. So then I passed by the fountain gate of the king, in the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine, inspected the wall, then entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. Nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, or the rest who did the work. Notice what Nehemiah, Nehemiah showing wisdom here. Notice, no, no, notice what he's doing. He's showing wisdom here to receive what God has placed in your heart. You understand that? I mean, listen, what I'm saying is this. You know, if, if, if God has told you your child's going to be saved, I wouldn't go home and say, you're going to be saved this year. Because they may... <laughs> go further away. You just realize if God has put it in there, God can bring it to pass, and you don't have to tell people what God has put in there because God is doing a work. Okay? Verse 7 through 19. I'm sorry I don't have an outline, but let's, let's, we're just studying this morning. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned with fire. So he's talking to the people there. And in other words, he said, listen, let's get real. Let's see where we're at this morning. Let's not be like an ostrich and put our hand in the head in the sand and say, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's fine. This is fine. He says, you see what's going on. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Now here it is again. 
He's excited because everybody's ready to work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Again, there's problems there again. So you got to realize this. In the work of God, there's mountains, there's valleys. There's times that we're ready to shout the victory down. And there's other times when we want to throw in the towel and say, God, what is the use? How is it going to ever work out? But the last thing I would say is this. Is that in the work of God, you've always got to keep a proper perspective. Now here's, here it is right here. Verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. You understand that? Even though he's facing adversaries, even though he's facing problems, he keeps his focus, his perspective on God, and he says, it is the God of heaven that is going to give us success in what he has called us to do. And so the same God who enabled Nehemiah to do the work that God had called him to do is the same God who will enable us to finish our course with joy and accomplish what he has called us to do. Now let's stand. He's coming and play it. I don't know what a song would be for this. But there's a lot of things in people's lives this morning that if we honestly look at, have an honest assessment, there's things that have been broken down. There's things that need to be repaired, that need to be rebuilt. And let me say this, listen, there's three words that describe this book. And it applies to the Christian life. Nehemiah is going to always be building or rebuilding. He's going to always be battling. And he's going to always be becoming what God wants him to be. And you and I, as his children, we will always on this earth be building or rebuilding always be battling and we will always be becoming being sanctified into what God has called us to be now one more scripture the Bible says in Psalms 60 and 12 and I want to say this together this morning God's word is true now let's say it together with God's help, we will do mighty things, for he will trample down our foes.